Well, um, Matthew asked if I could uh, join in your series of John, and I said I'd be more than happy to do that. So uh, open up to John chapter 1, if you would, please. Um, One of the key elements of biblical interpretation, like when you're going to study a book of the Bible, one of the first things that you want to know is, why did the author write this book? What, what's the purpose behind this book? Because if you don't understand that, you have no basis for beginning to understand, well, why did he say that? Why is he writing about that? Why did he do that? And fortunately, uh, in John's gospel, he doesn't leave us any room for speculation or guesswork. Uh, he tells us very clearly, this is why I'm writing this book. Uh, we find that in John 20, 31. Uh, These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. And to that end, you're going to find as you study John throughout the months that John calls witnesses. He's calling these different witnesses to testify uh, so that people might believe and so that people might have life. And the first witness that he calls is John the Baptist. Uh, The first witnesses he called is John to begin to testify to these things that uh, he wants us to believe so that we might have life. So what we're going to find today is that John's testimony reinforces the prologue that you've been studying for the last three weeks and foreshadows the gospel's revelations about who Jesus is as the gospel begins to unfold. So John's John's witness is crucial for looking back and reinforcing what what, um, John, the gospel writer, has has already unpacked. And it's going to foreshadow some of the key themes that John is going to unpack or unfold for us. So to that end, uh, we're going to read John chapter 1, verses 19 through 34. And then actually at the end, we're going to flip over and look at a passage from Luke as well. But uh, right now, let's just enjoy the great privilege we have to hear the very words of of God. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed that he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, then why are you baptizing, if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. 
I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know, but he sent me to baptize with water said to him, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Well, Father, we do pray as we, um, just to enjoy walking with Jesus through a, a gospel, that today we would hear and receive this first witness to him, the witness of John the Baptist. And in hearing and receiving, we might strengthen our belief. Some might, for the first time, believe and we would all enjoy and have life in his name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the, the first question here that comes up is the identity of John the Baptist. Um, in John's prologue, as you'll remember, uh, John, the gospel writer, uh, introduced the Baptist uh, that he was to have a crucial role in bearing witness about Jesus. So in... Uh, in John 1, 6 through 8, John, he came as a witness that we might believe through him. And so it's critical then that John begins, this is the testimony of John. This is the witness of John, the first witness in a sense that I want to call to the stand to testify so that you might believe. Now, a little bit of background. John was causing quite a stir. A stir and he was actually uh, attracting great crowds and the religious leaders wanted to come and, and check it out. Uh, because by baptizing, in some ways he was saying uh, the, the rituals aren't enough. Uh, there, there's something more that needs to be added. And it is very clear that he didn't actually get a permit to uh, do this baptism from the religious leaders. Uh, he also uh, wasn't giving them the proper respect. In fact, quite the opposite. Uh, calling them a brood of vipers uh, wasn't actually meant to endear them to uh, John and, and his preaching and baptizing. Um, so all of that wouldn't have sat well with the religious leaders, the Pharisees. And so they send an official delegation to John to kind of find out who he is. And so they ask him, you know, who do you, what do you say about yourself? Who are you? And the first thing that John says that he is not is the Christ or the Messiah or the anointed one. Uh, John came in a time where messianic expectations in Israel were really high, particularly because of the Roman occupation and the, and the, and the struggles that they were, they were experiencing. The expectations and the hopes were, were at, at new highs. And uh, John uh, says, no, uh, I'm not the Christ. And so what then? And they propose, uh, well, what about Elijah? In the prophet Malachi, uh, there had been a prophecy that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, before this day where the Messiah would come and save and judge, that the prophet Elijah uh, who, if you remember, was taken up uh, alive in a chariot, that the prophet Elijah would return uh, to Israel. So are you Elijah? Are you the one that's prefiguring this great day of the Lord? And he says, no. And then what about the prophet? Uh, 
Uh, now, it's, uh, in, in Deuteronomy, uh, Moses had, had said that in the last days that um, God was going to raise up a prophet like him. So not just were you a prophet, but, but were you this prophet, the prophet that Moses had, had prophesied would come in these last days. So all these questions, the Christ, Elijah, uh, the prophet, they all had to do with this messianic expectation. And to every question, John answered, no, no, no. Uh, so then, if you're not the Christ, if you're not Elijah, if you're, if you're not the prophet, who are you? What, what do you have to say about yourself? And his answer was simply this. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Now, the context is actually the prophecy that Matthew read this morning uh, in your call to worship, uh, Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40 is the, is the turning point, the pivot of the entire book of Isaiah. Uh, for the first 39 chapters, the message had been one of judgment and, and calls to repentance because of their sin, ending in chapter 39 with this prophecy that they were going to be uh, brought into exile by this, this nation, Babylon. And then in chapter 40, the pivot, comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. And the comfort was this coming messianic figure uh, that was uh, going to, to bring salvation to them and, and judge their enemies. And so in verses three through five, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord uh, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. So what John tells them is, I'm, I'm the answer to this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 40 that comfort for the people of God is about to come. And I'm the voice that's simply crying and letting you know that this day is upon you and uh, thus this baptism for repentance and that the glory of the Lord is about to be revealed. Now remember in the prologue in verse 14 where it says about Jesus, we have seen his glory. And so John is referencing uh, that when he says, this, this, is, this is who I am. So John is very clear, I'm not the Christ, I'm not the Elijah, I'm not Elijah, I'm not the prophet, but I, I am a harbinger, of, a foreteller of the messianic age that's coming. I'm simply the voice crying in the wilderness. And so what then is this voice saying is, is the next question. What was the witness of John, the testimony of John, that John, the, the gospel writer, um, was bringing. And so this delegation asked him, so if you aren't the Christ and you aren't Elijah and you aren't the prophet, what gives you the right to baptize people? Uh, just, just who do you think you are to come and baptize without a permit, without a, any, anything official? And by the way, who do you think you are to talk about us the way that you're, you're talking about us? And John's answer is, is just simply a wonderfully humble answer that I'm baptizing to point to and to prepare the way for one who is greater than me, uh, one who is actually already here. Uh, among you stands one who you do not know. And again, this is, this is hearkening back to the prologue in verse 11 
where that says um, that you, he, he came to you, but you did not receive him. And this, this is foreshadowing that in John's gospel. And again, what humble, what humble words. Jesus is gonna say later that there was no one greater ever born of a woman than John the Baptist. That's, that's quite a testimony about you. Um, but John says, you asked me about myself. No, my only importance is the one I point to. My only importance is the one that I'm preparing the way for. In fact, he is so great in comparison to me that I'm not even worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. Now, you have to understand the reference here. The lowest slave in any household got what was considered the most degrading job. And that was when visitors came to take off their sandals and to wash their feet. Uh, when Jesus does this in John chapter 13, it's just, it's a stunning moment. But, but John here is testifying, no, th th this is where I stand in relation to the one I'm pointing to and preparing for. I, I'm like the lowliest slave in a household. I'm like the most degraded slave in a household who's simply called to wash people's feet in comparison to this one who stands before you and you do not know the one who is coming to you. Um, later on in John chapter three, verse 30, he says, so clearly, he must increase, I must decrease. So that's John's witness to the Jews. And then there is also his witness to the crowds. And his witness to the crowds actually happens the next day, uh, verse 29, the day after. Now, this isn't the first time that John the Baptist had seen Jesus. He had actually seen him and baptized him 40 days earlier than, than this particular day. And Jesus had already been into the wilderness uh, for 40 days to be tempted uh, by the devil. And he's, he's, he's returning. So 40 days earlier, Jesus had been baptized uh, by John. Uh, he had seen this dove descend upon him, the Holy Spirit descend upon him and remain there. And uh, he, he had heard this voice from heaven declaring, uh, this is my beloved son. And now Jesus returns. And as John sees him, he, he points him out to the crowd and he gives the following testimonies. Verse 29 the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, this is sacrificial atonement type of, of, of language. And we have to ask, what, what was John thinking when he, when he said this? We, we have the benefit of hindsight when we hear this. Uh, so was John thinking, Isaiah 53, uh, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of his all. He is like a lamb that is to be led to slaughter. Um, in the Watergate hearings back in the early 70s, uh, Senator John uh, Howard Baker asked of Richard Nixon famously, what did he know and when did he know it? 
And that's an important question we have to ask about John's testimony here. Um, these, these are questions that could certainly be asked of him. So was John speaking here with prophetic insight? Did he know that Jesus was going to actually die on a cross as a sacrifice and atonement for our sins? Uh, maybe, uh, but it's not certain that he did. Uh, I think it's more likely that the Baptist was speaking more here than he actually knew. But in any case, he's foreshadowing for John's reader a gospel reality that is going to be unfolded throughout John's gospel. Uh, secondly, he says that he ranks before me because he was before me. Now, if you remember the story, John was actually born six months ahead of time. So if, if we lived in modern times, there would have been fact checks and they would have gotten out the birth certificate and, you know, whoa, 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 time out. You were actually born uh, six months before him. Um, but again, John here is, is, is referencing the prologue where uh, the gospel writer had, had said, uh, in the beginning was the word. And so he, he, he's testifying to, to this um, fact that this word that Jesus himself uh, was from the, the beginning. Uh, and then verse 31, for this purpose, in other words, to reveal Jesus, it's why he came baptizing. Uh, and the reason he knew that the, the key clue was that God had told him that the one who the Spirit descends upon and remains on, he is the one that is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now, you got to understand in the Old Testament, uh, the, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit was a sure sign of the Messianic age. Uh, the Spirit's anointing of all of God's people, not just some God's people, uh, it was a sign that the Messianic age was upon you. And so again, when John says, this one, Jesus, is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, he's saying he's the Messiah. He's the one that's bringing the Messianic age upon you. Now we're going to say about, more about this in just a minute. Uh, and then in verse 34, he is the Son of God. Um, now, remember, John would have heard a voice from heaven declaring, uh, this is my beloved Son. And again, he, he probably saw this as just another messianic assurance because all of the Davidic kings were known as sons of God. At their coronation, it was believed that it was spoken over them, this is my beloved son. And because the Messiah was to come and sit on the throne of David, um, for him to say this was the son of God was again, John probably saying more than he knew, more than he realized. But again, we have this testimony from John that certainly foreshadows this reality that John's gospel is going to unpack. And so we see this wonderful witness, this, this wonderful testimony of John as the first witness that the gospel writer calls to the stand. And there are just three things that, that stand out about this testimony. First is, is his humility. That he, it wasn't about him, it was about calling attention to Jesus. Uh, next was his, his boldness. Uh, his message wasn't a popular one. 
Our message is not a popular one, um, but he was bold. And then the simplicity of his witness. Um, I think sometimes we, could, we can struggle with witnessing, thinking, man, I gotta know this and I gotta know this. And, and the gospel is just so simple and John's, John's testimony was just so simple. Um, now, interestingly, after John 3, where John says, I must increase, but he must decrease, John the Baptist disappears from uh, John the gospel writer's gospel. Uh, that's, that's the last we hear of him. Uh, the other gospel writers report on John's death. Uh, John, the gospel writer, doesn't do that. Um, but there is one more incident in John's life that I think is worth looking at for us. And so if you can flip over to Luke chapter 7, I want to look at the, the crisis of doubt that John the Baptist, this first witness, this, this powerful witness, this crisis of doubt that he had. So remember, uh, he says, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And, and later on in, in John chapter three, um, and, in, and in Luke chapter three, we, uh, John elaborates on this. So Luke three, uh, they ask about baptism and John answered them saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, I remember in the old charismatic days, we thought, yeah, the Holy Spirit and the fire of the Holy Spirit. That's not what he meant. Fire stands for judgment. So he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, in other words, the salvation that comes with the Messianic age. But he's also going to bring judgment. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat into the barn and the chaff he will burn with an unquenchable fire. And so again, this is the, the salvation and judgment. Now, John is unquestionably a man of Great faith, great commitment, great courage, great faithfulness. Uh, what a tremendous day it would have been when he sees Jesus and he's able to say, this is what, that's him. It's the Lamb of God. It's the Son of God. It's the one that's going to baptize in the, in the Holy Spirit. My job is now complete. But subsequent events prove confusing and perplexing to even John. John ends up in prison where he'll eventually be beheaded. And reports are coming back to him about Jesus. And the reports are not at all what he expected that he was going to hear. Um, he had said at one point, even now the ax is laid at the root of the tree. You know, we just read the winnowing fork, this tool of separation is already in his hands. Jesus was the expected Messiah, but he wasn't the Messiah that John expected. Philip Ryken said it really well. He said, John expected a more militant Messiah with a more aggressive timeline. So he does the right things. He, he sends his disciples to ask Jesus. And so we pick up the story in Luke 7. Uh, the disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John called two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Now, 
Take this question and remember the testimony that John had already given. This is the Lamb of God. This is the Son of God. This is the one who will baptize. But now he's having second thoughts. He's having doubts. Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus' response is both a demonstration and a, and a declaration. Uh, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. All of these words from the prophet Isaiah, where remember, it, it was uh, John who referenced himself as the voice crying in the wilderness, um, uh, explaining the basis of Jesus' ministry. Now, we aren't told whether John got this or not, but we have to assume that he did. But, but what can we learn from John here? Because no Christian, myself included, is exempt from doubt at times. No Christian, myself included, is exempt from the need to, to, for reassurance. I mean, John, a man of unparalleled courage and witness, the preparer of the way for the Messiah who, who, who Jesus affirms. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Certainly not. He took on the religious leaders. He took on Herod and the political leaders. Um, but even he had temptations to doubt. Even he needed reassurance. And brothers and sisters, doubt, doubt is one of the most painful and, and guilt-producing thoughts that a, a Christian can have. It's one of the most disorienting experiences that a Christian can have. Because we're supposed to be what? Believers. And so doubt cuts to the very core of who we're called to be as, as Christians. But even a man like John, when trials come, they can be personal, they can be trials in the world. They can tempt us to become confused and, and perplexed and to doubt. Well, what's going on here? Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? What, why are these things going on in the world? And we just see back in John these, these wonderful responses to this, and they're threefold. First of all, note, note Jesus' tender response to John's doubt. Verse 23, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Um, Jesus wasn't reluctant to rebuke for little faith. But here he doesn't rebuke, he blesses. Um, he, he, he pronounces a blessing on, on those who persevere and, and of the rewards that they will find at the end. In the meantime, it was said of Jesus, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not stuff out. When we doubt, Jesus isn't 
sitting saying, oh, you of little faith. He's saying, oh, my reed is bruised. My, my wick is smoldering, but I will not break it. I will not stuff it out. And the church, by the way, is called to do the same thing in Jude 22. We're called to have mercy on those who doubt. The second thing uh, is the reassurance of the world, of the word. Uh, John struggled because he didn't completely get what the Messiah was going to do when he came. Uh, he, he needed biblical instruction. Uh, one of the things that happens when we doubt is our feelings begin to overwhelm us and the devil takes that opportunity to accuse us. Oh, sure, you say yourself a Christian, you call yourself a believer, but you doubt, you're having one, you know. So um, Jesus, when John doubted, Jesus simply pointed him back to the word. Go and tell John what you've seen and go and tell John what you've heard. Uh, for us today, go back to the word of God and, and, and see what Jesus says. Uh, observe what, what he has done. In times of doubt, we must press into this, to the word of, uh, of truth. Uh, we must understand what the Bible says about suffering and trial and God's sovereignty in the world. And then lastly, and is the, are we doing another song? A band can come. Lastly, just the wonderful reassurance of our relationship with God. Um, Jesus, Jesus' tender response, the reassurance of the world, and then the reassurance of our relationship with God. Uh, at the end of this passage in Luke, Jesus says, I tell you, among those born of woman, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. Now, John was certainly a believer. What, he, what he's saying is with, with the new messianic age coming, that John, who was a, an Old Testament type prophet, that the least of God's people in the New Testament is, uh, is being assured of, of their greatness. That brothers and sisters, we have the privilege of being born on the other side of the cross and the other side of the resurrection. The Lamb of God has taken away our sins. The Son of God has enabled us to be adopted into the family of God, to share in his sunset, a sonship. And he will, at the proper time, come and make all things right and save his people and judge the evil and the wickedness that we see in our world today. So Father, I, I do pray that we would just take encouragement from John's testimony and perhaps even take more encouragement from John's doubt, knowing um, the tender love and the wonderful reassurance that our Savior gives us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.